So I'm going to a classic. I'm sure some of you already knew as soon as I said the scripture. You knew what I was talking about today. I'm going to uh, the fish and loaves story. I was uh, tasked with preaching last week, and then um, as the family fell uh, ill with COVID, we took some time to, to evaluate whether or not my household was sick, uh, and I had this sermon prepared, and um, during that time, I took even more time to study, and uh, we got back here this week, and I'm just very excited to bring you uh, the fish and loaves story, but I wanted to look at it from a different perspective, because when I'm reading these stories, what's happening a lot to me lately is I'm reading stories and I'm seeing a little bit of different information than I've seen before, and uh, I feel like God is helping me with new revelation, and uh, I am very pleased with this revelation because I think it's something that is needed for us as a church, uh, and it's also needed for the church as a community across the globe. So I'm just going to read through the whole scripture set up right now. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said that this is a remote place. It's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the village and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said, and he directed the people to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish, looking up to the heaven and giving thanks. He broke the loaves. Then he gave to them the disciples, and the disciples gave to them the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men, besides women and children. When I'm reading this story this time around, it is teaching me two things. And I'm going to go over those two things, starting with the first. As elder Christians, we are responsible for the well-being of the young Christians. And when I say elder, I mean elder in longevity of faith, not in age, not in grayness of hair, I mean how long you've had a stoked relationship with God. When the disciples, the elders of that time, said to Jesus, the people who are here to hear your word, many of them for the first time, they're hungry. They need to be fed. He said to them, you feed them. And that sticks out to me as a call to action for the elder Christians of the church. The hunger that people may have Maybe for the spirit, maybe in finances, maybe in actual hunger like the 5,000 had, and maybe in health, maybe in mental health and relationships, but it stays the same, that the young will be hungry and need to be fed, and the responsibility is not on them to go get fed, it is on us, the disciples, to feed them. And how do we feed them? What can we do to feed the young Christians today? And I have some points within this point to help you understand how to interact with them in a way that feeds them like the loaves and the fish. Number one, a lack of knowledge needs empathetic direction. Young Christians will not know the hymns. They won't know the scriptures. They won't know the right actions. They won't take the right moves. They will make mistakes. You need to understand, in order to direct them, you must do it from a place of empathy. 
You are not looking down on them. You're not chastising them. You're telling them, I understand what it's like to have been a young Christian. And I know this can be confusing. And I know it feels like you're changing your whole world. And I know that that's hard. But let me guide you. And I will show you the way that I got here. And that empathy will create a sense of community for them. And you will have to know as an elder Christian that guidance is about growth, not tearing someone down. We must take the position that God takes in our life as a shepherd going before us and making a path. We must reflect that path for young Christians. We must go before them and help them clean up their path. Show them what it's like to read a Bible, how to pray sometimes, what songs to sing, what the Bible is really saying. They will have questions. You will have answers. And you must empathize with their spiritual growth process. I know many of us here today, especially the elder Christians, know it has been a very long time since we've had to start over in our faith or we've had to start from the beginning. But I can still remember what it was like when I thought I knew God and when I really got to know God. It's, it's like being in the middle of a tornado almost. Your world is just turned upside down and it's a good thing, but you just don't know where to look. You don't know where to turn. You just... You're so excited and your fire's lit and you want to do something for God, but you don't know what to do yet. And you don't want to make any mistakes, so a lot of times you just you sit still. And that opportunity passes you by. Well, the elders are supposed to come with their empathetic direction and guide you and say, look, this is where you're supposed to go. And this really isn't a storm and your world isn't turned upside down. God is just moving and making things better for you. And that's what we should understand with our their lack of knowledge needing our empathetic direction. Remember this. We all know what we know because we were once taught. It is your turn to be the teacher. The second thing we must remember is that mistakes need forgiveness. Elder Christians will make mistakes, but younger Christians will make them more often, typically. Those mistakes have already been forgiven by God. We must reflect that forgiveness. They're going to do some of the things that you don't think are right. They're going to do some things that are non-debatable, that are wrong. And that's okay. The connection to God is what is important. The attempt at making a connection with God is what is important. They will stray. Some people think that you got to be here every Sunday and tithe every Sunday. That's a good spot to be. That's a good thing to do. But the young Christians sometimes will miss a Sunday for no reason. They won't put tithes in the offering when they have a surplus. Those mistakes need forgiveness because guidance happens first. Forgiveness happens. And good guidance needs forgiveness to actually be successful. In every walk of life, you are practicing forgiveness. But sometimes we get in the walls of the church and we forget how to forgive because we're so caught up in making things perfect for God. Well, let me tell you a secret. We cannot make things perfect for him. And merely trying to do that is a waste of your time. Spend your time connecting to him. Then he will perfect you. You're not supposed to perfect you. God is supposed to perfect you. 
They're not supposed to perfect themselves. God is supposed to perfect them. And so those mistakes that they make, they will need forgiveness. Some of them will hurt you. Some of them will ask for money from you and not give it back. Some of them will ask for advice from you and not take it. Some of them will ask for your guidance and your help, and they'll do the exact opposite thing, and then they'll turn around and say, well, I did what you said when they actually didn't. They will be wild at times. You must be ready. You must be still. You're the elder. And they may be older than you in earthly years, but you're the elder Christian, and you know what God is really like. As they iron out the kinks of their faith, it is our job to forgive the mistakes while they're doing that. God forgives us daily. You can forgive others occasionally. When old Christians start trying to put perfection on young Christians, it turns them into ex-Christians really quickly. There are a lot of Christians who walked in the door and were told they needed to change so much that they realized they couldn't do it and they left and never came back. A lot of the people I talked about earlier on TikTok who were talking about anti-church and anti-tithes, they're people who were once beginning their walk with God and were told you got to be perfect. They failed. They felt like a failure and they walked out the doors and never came back. It is our job to forgive their mistakes because God first forgave us. And also a reminder, we are still making mistakes today. So don't forget that you are also mistaken at times. And they may be right and you may be wrong at times. That's okay. The walk for their life to Christ will be bumpy. Forgive them for that. Next, your resources and experiences need to be shared. Tangible and non-tangible resources can make the difference for their commitment. They may not have a ride to church. They may not have a Bible. They may not have clothes that they feel appropriate in. I tell you today, if you're listening and you're not here because of the clothes that you want to wear, I wore these to Walmart a couple of days ago and I feel fine. And I feel like I'm doing a good job up here today, and I don't think my clothes being changed would make it any better. So I don't think you have to go to the store and buy yourself a suit. That's fine. If you just got jeans or shorts and a tank top, whatever you got, I recommend you put some shoes on your feet so you don't get sick, and that's about it. Because God is here to make a connection with you, not your appearance. But the tangible resources that we have may be the difference for them. The non-tangible resources we have, like experience and knowledge, the guidance I talked about, the forgiveness I talked about, those things can make them decide, I really like this place. I really like this community. When I was in need and I didn't know what to do, they guided me. Another reason a lot of young Christians leave the church and never come back is because they started as young Christians and had no help or guidance becoming elder Christians and they were left alone to themselves and they didn't know how to make a connection with God and they continued to try and fail because no one shared their resources. So they felt like God must not be real or I must not be able to connect to him. And they walked out the door and never came back. Share your experience. Share your resource. You may lose some money. You may lose some items. You may lose some time. They will gain an eternity for that. Your shared experience with struggle, failure, and success builds community. Tell them it's okay that they're struggling. Let them know that you want struggle too, and maybe you're still struggling. Tell them that you failed as well, and maybe you're still failing. But also tell them how God has succeeded in your life. 
So they can see that, yes, it's okay that I'm struggling. It's a part of the walk of God. And it's okay that I failed. He's forgiven me for it. And guess what? That struggle and that failure isn't going to hold me back because just like Larry told me, he struggled and he failed, but God found a way to succeed in him. And if I just stick to it, God will find a way to succeed in me. And that will build a community and a hope that keeps them attached to the Lord. One of the biggest fears of young Christians is getting things wrong. Let them know early what a real relationship with God is like. It's not about you being perfect. It's about you knowing God's perfection. It's about you getting the perfect relationship with God. That is him taking over your life. It's not about your actions. It's about what God has already done for you. Let them know that getting things wrong is a part of the process. Because when I fail, God is perfect. And when I'm not big enough, God is big enough. And sometimes the best part of being a Christian is trying and trying and trying and failing and failing and failing and just feeling like you have nothing left. And then God comes in. While you're wallowing in the dirt, he picks you up, he cleans you up, and he says, I got you. Now you watch me fight. They'll never get that experience if we don't let them know. If we don't share the resource and experience with them, they'll never get the experience to know that sometimes it doesn't matter how much you fail because God has already won for you. The last point in this section is love freely and defer to God. Only love them. Only love them. They don't need hate. They don't need to be chastised. Everything you do must come from love. Guidance from love. Forgiveness from love. Direction from love. Resources, experiences shared from love. You may have to make hard decisions and help them make hard decisions, but your first decision you make in every interaction with them and every interaction with everybody else is love. Love is always the best decision, and it is always an option. Choosing love shows them both how to be a Christian, and it represents God well. If you set the standard early that faith is about love, they will start making their faith about love, and they will cleanse themselves of some self-hate because you love them and God loves them. They will let go of some hate they have for some other people, and they will be cleansed for it. You will cleanse their spirit through your love. That is the most important aspect of dealing with younger Christians is to love them. Only love them. And if you don't know how to love them, then get away from them. Leave them alone. If you don't know how to interact with them without love in a certain situation, let it be. Because you cannot make the mistake of not loving them. Imagine for a moment God stopped loving you. We are their representation of God. We are their representation of Jesus. And if we show them anything else but love, they will think that God has something else but love for them. And it will be our fault that they feel that way. I said earlier, there are some people out in the world who are attacking faith, and many of them are wrong. But what is wrong on our side is many of them came to the faith and weren't loved properly. And yeah, they're off in the world, and they're anti-Christian, and they're doing their best to make churches look bad. But we made the first mistake by not loving them. We sent them out the doors. 
If you love them, they may have disagreements with your ideologies and what you say about certain scriptures. They may take different definitions of different words. They may pray differently than you. They may like different types of music than you. They may think praise and worship should be big lights and stage shows, and you might think it should be just an acoustic guitar. What will matter to them is that you still love them, no matter what. Let God convict them. Let God convict them. We're not even good enough to convict ourselves. God is convicting us through the Holy Spirit. Guiding them is about telling them sometimes when things need to be changed in their life. But you let God convict them. Let God move them. Remember, not everyone's journey is the same. They may take years to get something it took you a few minutes to understand. They may make mistakes for the rest of their faith. But what is most important is that they are connected to Christ. You simply act as a bridge for them and God. The building of that relationship is the most important. The other stuff comes in time. You might be able to correct them. You might be able to teach them. But let me tell you this. You're not as good as convicting people as the Holy Spirit is. You're not as good as guiding people as Jesus is. You're not as good at changing people as God is. You're not as good as making circumstances feel better as the Holy Spirit and Jesus, the Father, the Trinity is. So you just get out of the way and let the perfect one perfect them. And all we do is we say, look, I know you're trying to connect to God. And I know there's a bunch of muck and mire in the way and you don't know how to get there. So why don't you step across my experience? I'm going to lay my back down on the ground and I'm going to let you walk over me to God. And I'll get up and I'll dust myself back off. And you get to God. All that is important to me is that you make it to God. Because how can it not be the most important thing to share Jesus? How can we live in a world that is so broken and damaged and in need of healing? How is it that we know the perfect healer? How is it that we know God and we don't just lay ourselves down for people and say, please walk across me to meet the one who can fix you? God is here to love them. You do that too. The next thing that we must learn through this scripture is when, when they gave him the fish and the loaves, he stuck his hand out and he said, thank you, before it multiplied. The miracle came from giving thanks with confidence and expectation. His spirit was filled with thanks before the bread was multiplied. He didn't need the miracle to know it was going to happen. He had the faith to know. Thank you. Thank you. Remember that, that expectant thanks moves mountains. There is the thanks that we have when we just get in his presence. There is the thanks that we have when he has committed a miracle to us and given us something and he has blessed us. But the most important and most powerful thanks that we have as Christians is this. You haven't done it yet, but I know you're going to do it. Thank you, God. Thank you. Giving thanks to God is not simply about what he has done. It's about what he is going to do. So maybe you have a need today. And you have to hold your hand out and you don't have enough. Start thanking him and the miracle will come. Start off by thanking him. There was 5,000 hungry people and he had enough to hold in his hand a single basket. And he said, thank you for it. He knew. 
He knew that when he brought that basket back down, he brought miracles from heaven with him. And when you put your need to God up and you say thank you, know that you are bringing miracles from heaven back down to you. Know that you are bringing miracles. Some people are questioning, are miracles real? How come we don't see them? And let me tell you, you see miracles every day. There are answers to healings that you didn't deserve. There is money in the bank you didn't earn. There are things you don't understand happening. Miracles happen every day. There was a COVID uh, pandemic that happened and people were lost and broken. But guess what? The church remained, the people remained, and we are still here today. We are not broken. You are not broken. There are miracles in terms of scientific advancements and electronic advancements and the way that we live life. Miracles are happening every single day. There are children who are dying of diseases 30 years ago who are being healed of them today. That is a miracle. We don't have to rely on seeing some man come here with no sight and seeing again. We will see that. But don't spit on the miracles in your own life at the cost of not seeing the blind see again. Your spirit knows the truth. It knows that there is a miracle within you. And you must simply say thanks to God. And some of us have spent so long praying for something. And we keep holding our hand out. And we say to God, look, I've got 5,000 to feed. But I've only got a couple of pieces of bread. God, can you do something? Can you do something? God, I need you. They're hungry and they're waiting. I don't have much time, God. I don't know what I'm going to do. God, can you please hurry? And he's just waiting for you to grab it from the other hand and say thank you first. Your miracle can come from expectant thanks. Your healing may be locked behind the faith it requires to say thank you and move on. Your financial healing may come from you making decisions like you already got the money. Your healing in your relationship may be coming from you acting as though the healing has already taken place. I know in my own personal life what it's like to be in need. But I know even more what it's like to get from God. I know even more what it's like to be given by God. And I know that sometimes I can bring him thanks for what I have and what he's done for me. But I also know sometimes I miss something I should say thank you for. I've told this story a bunch of times, but Tanisha felt in her heart that we shouldn't pack the kids up in the car one day. I hadn't said thank you to God for this, but he did it anyway. We drove down the road, and everybody told us, no, you got to take them to their first appointment. They were pretty young, I'd say probably about maybe a month or two, maybe a little older. Um, and we didn't put them in the car. And we went and we took care of some other business that day. The brakes went out on the car. I pulled the emergency brake, and I held it in my hand. And I didn't see it connected to the car anymore. We were going downhill. And I chose the back end of a tow truck because I knew that that person in that car wouldn't be hurt. And I wanted to minimize as much damage as I could. I swerved over, and I let the tow truck ball hit my side of the car. And as I was starting, I unbuckled my seatbelt, and I dove over Tanisha. Two miracles happened that day. There is absolutely no way our young daughter would have survived that wreck. 
There is absolutely no way she'd be here today if God didn't give me something I should have said thank you for first. There is absolutely no way if he didn't give me the structure of mind to unbuckle my seatbelt and dive over Tunisia that I'd be alive today because when I came back over, that tow truck ball was right here. And I felt it bump my rib cage as I moved over. We walked away with none of us needing to be hospitalized that day. We could have walked away with me being dead or gone and my baby being dead and gone. I didn't know when I woke up that morning that I should say thanks for that. And since that day, I started waking up and holding my life out to God. And I started saying thank you to him for everything. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for what you're about to do. Thank you, God. Thank you. Thank you. Because I have owed him so many thanks. And it is time I start giving it back. And you have owed him so many thanks. Give it back to him. If you've got a miracle you need today, get it in your spirit and hold it up to him and say, thank you, God. Thank you for what you're about to do. And then you have the audacity to pull your breadbasket down and pass it around. Because something you notice in that story is 5,000 baskets didn't appear. It was still the same basket. From the outside perspective, it didn't look any different. But Jesus knew that this was going to replenish. That this basket was going to be enough. He passed it, and they probably said, this is just one basket. What do we do? He said, pass it and watch what happens. Pass it and watch what happens. You give God thanks. Your circumstance may visually feel the same, but just know there is a multiplication that does not make visual sense happening in your life because you had expectant thanks. Give God that today. And do it loudly in front of everyone. You may feel like, what if I'm wrong? What if he doesn't? It's not the point. The point is that you had the faith, and God will provide for you. It's not about what other people see. It's about you being willing to take a chance on him. And a true chance isn't one that happens in private. A true chance is one that people know you took. Let everyone know you've counted on God today. I want to give God a prayer of thanks to close this message out. And I hope that you join me in this online. I hope that you join me in this today here in the building. Because I'm going to go over a few types of prayers. If you've got a need of finance, hold out your hand. Father God, thank you. I know when I pull my hand back, the finances are coming with it. I know the understanding is coming with it. I know the healing is coming with it. I know the miracle is coming with it. Though it looks like one basket still, God, I know it's going to feed the 5,000, God. Thank you for making this enough. Thank you for taking the little I have and making an excess with it, God. Thank you today. Do you have a miracle that you need from your mental health, your physical health? Hold that out to God. Father God, I am broken. But when I come back, I'm new. I hold my hand out to you and I say, thank you, God. I bring my broken spirit to you and I return a new spirit. I bring my broken body to you and I return a new body. I bring my health to you, God, and I feel it cleansed again. I feel my vessel cleansed again. So God, thank you for what you're about to multiply in my health. Do you have a need of relationship? 
Maybe you have a broken relationship with a family member. Maybe you need a rekindling of your relationship with God. Hold it out today and say, God, I know this relationship is broken. The bridges have burned. But when I bring them back to you and I say, thanks, God, I know I'm bringing down a new bridge that can never be burned down again. I'm bringing down that old rickety bridge that was once burnt. I'm putting it up to you, God, and I'm saying thank you. And I'm bringing back a sturdy steel bridge that can be walked across that no one can ever burn down. I am forging relationships and forgiveness that will never be torn down, God. I am recurring, recovering from generational curses. I am breaking generational bonds. I am freeing myself from generational shackles because I say to you, God, thank you. Thank you, God. If you are ever in need, turn to the elder Christians, and I hope they treat you well. And if you are an elder Christian and you are in need, Raise your hand out to God and say thank you first. Father God in heaven, I thank you for the word. I thank you for the blessing on my life to be able to be the one that brings it to you. God, I thank you that you chose me. I thank you that you chose these people. And God, I'm going to hold one final thing out to you. This church isn't about numbers. This church isn't about the old style of how many people are here, how many numbers do we have in the bank, God? We're about how many people we save. So what I'm about to multiply to you, God, I wanted to preface that first so everyone here knew what I'm talking about. God, I hold up the people we have here today, and you're going to multiply them. I hold up the changed lives we've been able to make, and you're going to multiply it, God. I hold up the community we've had an impact in, and you're going to multiply that, God. I thank you for new families being brought to you, God. I thank you for new families being fed because we had the ability to feed them. I thank you, God, for rent being paid because we were able to pay it for people. I thank you, God, for ministries being started out of this church from people who aren't even here yet, God. Thank you for what you're going to do for Austin Alive Church. And thank you for allowing us to praise you freely in this country. In your precious and holy name I pray, amen. I love you. You're all dismissed.